Women as One promotes talent in medicine by bringing the unique talents of women to the forefront. We believe that, as one, women can use their collective voice to change the landscape of medicine. My name is Erica Spatz. I'm a general cardiologist and associate professor at Yale School of Medicine, and I do clinical research at the Center for Outcomes Research and Evaluation here at Yale. My interest in shared decision-making started when I was a cardiology fellow and really began as I started to consent people for different cardiovascular procedures like catheterization or getting a defibrillator. Many of these consents were done just as people were being wheeled into the procedure room. And I found that patients had very little information, knowledge about the actual procedure. And many, when we started to talk, wondered about what other options they had which of course is not the right time or place to be discussing different options about a procedure. So we'd typically say, well, this is the right thing to do, let's go forward, but recognizing that we needed to have these conversations much earlier. My mentor, Dr. Harlan Krumholtz here at Yale, was doing work in this area of shared decision-making, and he connected me with others in the field like Victor Montori, an endocrinologist at the Mayo Clinic and really leader in shared decision-making and colleagues at University of Colorado, including Dan Matlock, Larry Allen, and Fred Masudi, who were developing different decision aids in the field of cardiovascular disease. My interest is in cardiovascular disease prevention and how do we speak with patients about the decisions that they need to make along the care pathway. So how do we make decisions around lifestyle or around statin use? Or how do we make decisions around escalating therapy for congestive heart failure? How do we get all of those medications of guideline-directed medical therapy on board? And really taking people through the longitudinal course of their illness and all of the different decisions that exist within that space. I also definitely bring in shared decision-making around procedures like whether or not to put in a stent when a person has ischemic heart disease or whether or not to do an AFib ablation or to put in a primary prevention defibrillator. Where I think shared decision-making has particular value is really in designing care that is most fitting and feels most comfortable for the patient after they understand the different options for treatment, the evidence behind those options, the risks and benefits of those options, and then how their preferences, values, and goals fit into each of those different options. When we can have these kinds of high-level conversations, and they're complicated, and oftentimes decision aids or tools designed to support these decisions can be very helpful in conveying that information and in eliciting questions and information from patients about their values and goals, then we can really design care management strategies that fit with that patient's values. And I think that's a really important goal for their, our healthcare system. It's a huge goal for the patient, for them to feel comfortable with their care, for them to have buy-in and feel like all of the effort that they are doing, whether it's taking a medication or going to the gym every day, is worthwhile and they have a sense of what the purpose is. It's also really valuable for our healthcare system so that we can eliminate waste. And waste can be associated with any care that's given that may not have been necessary or may not align with a patient's preferences, values, and goals. I was trained in a science called community-based participatory research where 
patients or stakeholders, the end users are involved in all phases of the research, the design of the question, the collection of data, the interpretation of data, the dissemination of those findings. And this kind of stakeholder participation research really, I think, makes the research much more meaningful to the end user and much more usable and generalizable. Shared decision-making embodies many of those characteristics where we are partnering with patients and end users to design really high quality decision support tools or decision support processes that meet the needs of patients as well as providers. My mentors have demonstrated this for me really amazingly to see people like Drs. Dan Matlock or Victor Montori or Glenn Ellen work alongside patients to really understand what's most important to them, what's going to be understandable, what kinds of information have we left out, what's less important. I think working with patients and understanding from them what better healthcare looks like has been modeled for me by many of my mentors and is what I hope to bring in my research and in my clinical practice. I think the word expert, on the one hand, it builds confidence. And on the other hand, I think that it suggests a certainty that we have knowledge that is above everyone else's or an understanding that is more exacting when a lot of medicine is messy. So I don't identify well with the term expert, although I would say that I have developed some expertise in this area. And that's come partially through my own work it's also come through studying other people's work and really having the privilege of working alongside a lot of people who are critically thinking about shared decision-making in this area. I'm also a reviewer for PCORI, Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute, that supports a lot of this research. And I get to read these fabulous grants and learn about other people's ideas. So I think I've gained expertise over the years in this world of shared decision-making but I would not call myself an expert. I bring a lot of recognition of uncertainty into my clinical practice. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure if that's because of who I am, just my personality, if that's because I'm a woman and I think sometimes that trait can be more embodied by women where there's more consideration of complex or different or opposing views or evidence bases, or if it's really driven by the area of research that has attracted me and has taught me to be okay with uncertainty. So in the field of shared decision-making, there is uncertainty about decisions. There's also a value placed on how much we think that that effect size matters, right? So we know what the randomized clinical trial shows that A is better than B but how much better? And that value on the magnitude of benefit or the magnitude of risk may vary for different people. So in my clinical interactions, I do try to bring that forward and recognize that what may feel right for one person may not feel right for another person. And so if I was to say that, you know, I'm an expert and this is what I think is the best plan forward, I think that's a little disingenuous because I think that 
There's a lot of different ways forward and taking into account each person's individual self, their own preferences, how they see the world is really important in defining what that outcome looks like. So I don't know if I'd call it doubt that I bring into my clinical interactions, but I do bring forward a certain openness. I need to be knowledgeable of the data and the evidence, but I also need to be open to the idea that there may not be one best path forward. The world of cardiology is a competitive one. And along the way, whether as a medical student or resident or cardiology fellow, we're often evaluated by how well we know the evidence. You know, can we cite the clinical trial that informs this practice? And that's sort of how we get our prowess, right? That's how we get ahead. That's how we get recognized. He or she is smart because they really studied at night and went home and read their journals and knew what the best therapy was for this patient. I think that that breaks down when we start to translate that into patient care. And this may be my own sense, but I think that women are more acutely aware of that because of the nature of the way that in general, we tend to interact with people in all of our relationships and including our relationships with patients, that they may be more bi-directional, that they may be more expansive, so we may learn more about a person's life. We may provide more opportunities for questions or for patients to speak up about something that they feel uncomfortable with. And I think it's that relational aspect of patient care and that can happen with men as well. So this is not totally like a gendered line that isn't crossed. But I do think that women bring a certain nuance to their relationships in general and specifically to the clinician-patient relationship, which may allow for a more partnered approach to clinical care. The reverse of that is that that can feel uncomfortable because it means potentially letting go of some of those truths that we hold to be so powerful, the truth of a clinical trial. And if somebody else is evaluating our care, they may say, well, did she know, you know, that that wasn't the best medication because it was shown in this trial that this was better and not that one. And I think if we can obviously not lose sight of the evidence, but if we can learn how to better integrate it into our care, and if we can learn how to share that with our colleagues, then we will be influencing cardiovascular care. We, I'm saying we as women, as women be grow in this field and our greater proportion of the cardiologists that we see, I think that we might be seeing ha care change so that when we go back to our training, residents, cardiology fellows are not just evaluated by how well they knew the clinical trial, but how well they were able to translate that evidence into care that really fits with that person's baseline risk or their preferences, values, and goals.